0: Hello, today we're speaking with Karen Shewitt, co-founder and CEO of Livestock Water Recycling. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Karen.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great. I suppose to start, could you tell us a little bit about Livestock Water Recycling?
1: Absolutely. At Livestock Water Recycling, we have created a water treatment system complete with a data and machine learning platform to modernize a really old fashioned practice for livestock farms, which is the lagoon storage and land spreading of livestock manure. They are lagoon storing millions of gallons of manure every year. And the industry was ripe for disruption and really interested in doing something more environmentally and economically sound.
0: And what drove that initial decision to start the company?
1: It's a really interesting uh, process that we've gone through, I think. We started originally in a business that was doing water treatment in uh, oil and gas. So we're in Calgary. We were really focused on hydrocarbon remediation, groundwater remediation of hydrocarbon contaminated gas stations, airports, anything oil and gas related that had groundwater contamination. Based on the knowledge and experience we gained there, we had people, you know, often coming to us and asking about other types of water treatment that we could assist with. And, We were looking at other ways to scale in water treatment, other ways to grow the business, other, you know, a pivot away from oil and gas management and into other aspects. I was really focused on agriculture because it is the largest user of fresh water on the planet. And I really wanted to work on my vision of recycling water for reuse. At the same time, and kind of serendipitously, we were approached by a farm in Alberta to discuss their manure treatment lagoon and how it was overflowing and they had, you know, regulatory issues and environmental issues and they really wanted to do something about it, a really progressive farm. And, you know, they just simply contacted us and said, you do water treatment, can you do manure treatment? We looked at that and thought, how hard can it be? it's it's no hard True. no harder than diesel contamination um it turned out it was a little bit harder um actually a lot harder and uh but we got right in um i say we jumped into manure with both feet because we really got engaged in the market we saw that it was a global market it wasn't just an alberta problem or a canada problem globally manure is handled in the same way all over the planet and there was no real technology available for farms to do anything about it, so they were left with this, this big problem to deal with themselves.
0: And I was to like to paint a picture for those who are you know I was less, who are listening who are less kind of familiar with the lagoon. I mean basically mm-hmm. these are kind of you know like think of like a large pond and it's just manure it's it's often very wet it's you know it doesn't smell the best. How large would an individual lagoon be on a farm?
1: Yeah, I would say think about a football field and then think about that being 15 feet deep and that's full of manure. It's a very delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's giving off. um, I mean, of course, odors, it's uh, emitting greenhouse gases, but it is, amongst other things, it can be. Overflowing, it can be influenced by surrounding environment and rainfall and I mean you think about this and and I often will show a slide saying, you know a farm family lives in that area and this is in their backyard, this huge you know football field size swimming pool of of manure. it's very dilute. it only has five percent manure particles, and the other ninety five percent is water. Which was another thing that we first encountered and thought, well, if this is mainly water, we should be able to recycle this water, get it out of there and for reuse, and then cut down on just the amount of emissions out of these, these ponds. And cut down, I mean, our whole vision of globally is to remove those lagoons completely and go lagoon free for food production
0: amazing and and you mentioned you know it, it was quite hard to build this technology you already had all this kind of skill set built up in oil and gas you know what did that first mvp look like as applied to agriculture
1: such a such a good question we originally started with our oil and gas remediation equipment and tried to apply that to manure lagoons manure is full of organics and carbon and it, it's a different type of substrate than Oil and gas, we've dealt with jet fuel or something. So it's a very different type of organic filled liquid. So to deal with that, we had to really look at it on a particle level and talk about removing those particles and isolating them themselves. So it involved us actually sitting in the lab, testing thousands of manure samples, <laughs> which was, you know, some people will say back to our beginning days and say that was the least fun we had, but it has made us go completely nose blind to manure. <laughs> so that's good work. Um, yeah, so we originally started off with existing equipment and then had to innovate our own equipment, for particle Flocculation and separation of actual manure particles, and then that led us to file a patent on that brand new novel technology.
0: And you know, you have this new technology. You know, you're ready to kind of deploy it. You already have. It sounds like at least one, you know, very interested user or customer. You know, how many other kind of you know farmers were like looking for a solution to this problem at that time?
1: Yeah, so we did a market study and we found that every farm, I mean, and we have yet to go to any farm that says, I love my lagoon, leave me with it. (laughs) Everyone is looking for a solution to this, but it's the economics that are the real factor here. Farms just simply don't have a ton of extra money to put into something that's going to cost them more. So the important part for us was to hone in on getting that value proposition right for the farms, finding a way for them to create value from that waste, rather than looking at it as, you know, a, an expense on their income statement that they just couldn't afford. So developing the equipment was one piece of the puzzle. And then the next several years was spent building out the value proposition with participating farms, with those early adopters that were interested in exploring the option and figuring out ways that they could make money off of the equipment. So that was really the biggest piece of our, our battle to get this to market was the value proposition.
0: And is there any kind of regulatory element to this? Um, I know in Ireland, you know, I think there are definitely some restrictions around having these kind of lagoons in in agriculture in in Ireland. Were there any or are there any kind of regulatory drivers that, you know, are prompting farmers to take a new look at this?
1: Uh, When we started, the regulation on this was in its infancy. Um, Since then, it has grown by leaps and bounds. And more than regulatory, it is incentive, based. So even, you know, uh, Biden announced this week around climate incentives for carbon sequestration and that involves farms as well. We're also seeing incentives in the value proposition around renewable natural gas and getting manure to to the right places where it can actually create value more so than regulatory. Usually we find regulations follow innovation and and incentives. So we're really seeing it more incentive focused. But, you know, we have sold our first system into Ireland this, month, <laughs> this month, so it'll be uh, all up and running this summer.
0: And the system itself, when it's deployed, I mean, is it, is it something that's just continuously running? Is there certain times of year you would run it? Like, how, how exactly does the implementation work?
1: It, manure is produced all year, every day, all day. So that's when our system runs. We have it installed on-farm it runs 22 hours a day and then 2 hours in the day it self flushes and cleans. So we want it to be as hands off as possible for farms so that they can get to the business of milking cows or taking care of their herd rather than running a water treatment system. When we originally started, we had something that was more difficult. Uh, the the user experience wasn't what we wanted it to be. And so now that we're on version 3 of our technology, we have a really user friendly system that doesn't require anything more than making sure the manure gets to the system every day.
0: And then the output is is water or are there like and how where does the where do the outputs get sent?
1: So we have three outputs. The biggest portion of that is 70% clean reusable water. So that's potable water that can be used for irrigation or cleaning or flushing on farms. Uh, that was really important for us to maximize that, and we are continuing to maximize that water output because globally only four percent of water is recycled for reuse right now in this type of way. So we really want to push the clean water function. Besides that, we have these two great fertilizers we produce: a solid fertilizer that is you know rich in organic and and um, phosphorus. And then we have a liquid fertilizer, very rich in micronutrients, potassium, nitrogen, that kind of thing. So those are two, they're separated and segregated for precision application. And they're really healthy. I mean, manure contains all the nutrients that a growing crop needs if we can just get it properly back into the ground.
0: And how often is the farmer then utilizing that on their own farm? Are any of these farmers selling on those kind of used products and so on?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, most of our farms, our big livestock farms have a feed crop component because the biggest expense that they have is their feed for their herd. So they want to make sure they, you know, have really great feed crops growing. So to use this back on their feed crop has been really successful. They've been able to increase the feed crop production by 30%. So they want to precision apply as much as they need. When they have extra, they can sell that, to other areas that are looking for nutrient, so other fertilizer applications, greenhouses, um, different types of crops, different types of feed crops, and then also into this growing market for renewable natural gas, where manure can be sold from the farm to a biogas producer and create a really great economic uptick for a farm.
0: And in terms of, you know, like just by default, it makes a huge amount of sense to me that this is better for the environment. You know, are there any kind of specific kind of metrics or KPIs that you think of in terms of like the impact that your system has on you know on a, on an existing farm?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think oh, environmentally, it's a it's a big question because we do see. A value proposition around the economics, but then we see one around just keeping the, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the farm by between 52 and 82% compared to normal lagoon uh, storage and land spreading. So that's a big percentage there as well, you know, looking at clean water and what that can do for a farm and what that can do for their production output and their herd health is really something that we are trying to focus on right now. So, I mean, keeping a better environment on their farm just for herd health makes our farmers really happy. Uh, They really want to see their herd be as healthy as possible. So we do have metrics around, you know, reducing their, their their metrics that they have around somatic cell counts or improving production, um, feeding behavior, reproductive behavior, weight gain for the, the hog clients. So we do see other metrics that are just farm health. But overall, we do see that, you know, recycling 70% of the water as clean and then reducing that greenhouse gas emission by, you know, 50 to
0: 80%. Is a lot of that uh, greenhouse gas emission, so that's the methane being released, from the lagoon directly, or are there other kind of uh, emissions that are occurring as part of that system?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, cows, we've heard a lot in the news about cows emitting, (laughs) and so they do have – you know, the cow burp uh, side of the equation that other people are dealing with when they're looking at feed supplements and, you know, there is, uh, that side is being dealt with. We're sort of down cow from that. Uh, so when we look sure. at the, the manure aspect of it, the majority of that emission is coming from the way it's handled on the farm. So the biggest hit is that lagoon, we, which is why our mission is to get it out of lagoons processed immediately at the farm so it doesn't allow it to start emitting and then drying that solid so that it can be precision applied or moved and then creating that liquid that has no longer has any emissions from it when we separate it out like that. So going through our process, we want to make sure that we are eliminating any emission that we don't plan for (laughs) and then putting any emission we want to if we want to really focus on getting methane out we will part of our process is to access all of the volatile solids possible so we pull out all the carbon we possibly can and move that into a biogas plant and if that makes sense you know as the highest use of what this farm can do with their manure then that's what where we want it to go so whether it's you know, we need to use it on the farm, so we need to make sure it doesn't emit as it's stored and spread, or we need to take it off the farm and make sure it does emit in the appropriate places.
0: So, in essence, is you know one of these terms that have come up a lot recently is this idea of like the circular economy, right? So you have like the flow of inputs and outputs mm-hmm. are, are matched rather than constantly just feeding uh, more and more and more into the one in one in one direction. Just how do you think about the circular economy and how it applies to your system and and what you're working on?
1: Yeah, so I mean, if you look at, let's say, U.S. livestock farms, I think they, they create about 340 million tons of manure annually. So that tonnage of manure, we want to move into its highest and best use for the planet. We are trying to process that, digitize it, and then create that economic access for farms what that where that goes depends a little bit on their geography and how close they are to a biogas pipeline. If that makes sense, their their needs on the farm, for the fertilizer and for that carbon to get back into the soil to make sure we've got healthy soils on the farm, or to uh, put that uh, sequester that themselves and access a carbon credit market. And then say, you know, their their farm is actually a carbon sink. And then they can sell actually just the carbon credits once they know how much they're sequestering. So overall, we look at, you know, digitizing that data, looking at all the nutrients and the carbon and then processing that through to say. This is exactly how circular that economy is, you know, where we sell it after it leaves the farm and then how they that creates the best economics for the farm and then the best and highest use for the planet.
0: And so there's a lot of variables in that, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, location variables, you have location variables, you've inputs and output variables and, mm-hmm. and everything in between. Um, I suppose, what's your kind of general approach to managing all those variables and all that data?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is... This is our our project we're working on right now is to, you know, as we've digitized this data from our farms and we bring more farms into it, we're looking for partners to establish the guidelines with us. Uh, we have been looking to pilot, um, do some pilot project with Nutrien. Uh, they have, you know, a carbon market and they have, I mean, they're the largest fertilizer input company in the world. So we're working with them to say, What's the highest use here as far as fertilizer sales? And how do we work in your logistical area to, you know, bring a natural fertilizer to market? Does that make sense in certain geographies and in certain retail locations? And how do we move this product from areas of the country where it's in abundance to areas of of the country where it's in need? And how, you know, logistically, how do we move that? So we have to look at it as a whole. We have to look at, you know, we're looking at North America as a whole project that involves us taking nutrients and carbon off of farms and moving it to places that it needs to go. And it's, uh, you know, a large data project that we've been working on and also, you know, a large uh, geography that we're working on. It's a big project for us, but we are working on it with different partners we work on it with Three Degrees that does carbon credits, and they have a program around that. Uh, we've been talking to Indigo Ag about how their carbon market works, and then, like I mentioned, Nutrien, and then other groups that are putting this into their their practice now. So other, Cargill has a carbon market, Lando Lakes has Trutera. So, you know, everyone's kind of got, got this in their sight line, and we're just trying to feed our data into their markets.
0: Yeah, it's a really kind of fascinating space, and you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've named, I think nearly all of them. There's maybe only one or two others, like Sibo. Um, they're mm-hmm. they're doing a little bit nori, and, and and a couple others. You know, one of the things when I think about like, uh, let's say a, a given farm trying to sequester carbon, there are all the various kind of layers to that. And I think a lot of people have been primarily working on the practices, right? So the, the adoption of regenerative ag or rotational okay. grazing, all those kind of things. Um, but what I think it's really fascinating, where you know. Your companies kind of filling the gap. Are those other areas that I suppose are you know less less popular, you know, and and then probably need this combination of chemical engineering, machine learning, and an already deployed team to basically process it. And so yeah, like it definitely makes sense to me how you know you have this very strong ability to kind of fit in with all these other companies who are trying to hit other parts of the sequestration
1: space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Definitely. I mean, we started off thinking we were in a water treatment project, and Mm -hmm. now where we've come to is we're in a data project. (laughs) So, I mean, last year we uh, engaged with Google in in one of their founder accelerators because of the enormous amount of data that we're processing and then how we're going to do that in a way that allows capacity to access all these markets that are available and, you know, bring in IoT data from the surrounding geography that can really enable this decision making to happen so that, you know, we're not trying to make these decisions ourselves. We're, we're letting the data drive the decisions.
0: And, you know, one of the things I think is fascinating about the agricultural space generally that a lot of people outside the space don't realize is like how data rich it is today. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've already kind of mentioned some of the data you're working on, um, but then there's, you know, spraying data and like, um, you know, applications data and all these other pieces of information. And when I talk to farmers, you know, especially at the larger scale, uh, there's starting to be quite a few frustrations, right? Because a lot of this data is not speaking to each other. You know, how do you think about, you know, how that data picture is going to evolve for an individual farmer? Like how do they make sense of all these things?
1: We're really trying to partner with those groups that are doing, you know, a farm management software package. Because, you know, like I say, we work on one end of the cow and that's our specialty. And we really want to be laser focused on how manure can be beneficially applied everywhere. We want to, you know, our vision about going lagoon free means that we have to focus on removal of those lagoons and what happens with that manure. So we're not trying to, you know, create a data management plan for all inputs on a farm. We just want our inputs to feed into other groups. groups that have sensational platforms already that are you know publicly traded companies that are bringing this this application to a farm so our real goal is to make sure our data is accessible and usable by those farm management packages and then to we you know we're doing some pilot work around saying what does this data say to this farm does it say when we, um, let's all give an example, when we flush more frequently at the farm, do the dairy cows eat more? If they eat more, do they produce more milk? So then we want to look at the feeding and we want to look at the milk production and see how the manure and the clean water plays into that portion of it. So that's, you know, data interaction with us and these other groups And we're just bringing our clean data to them so that they can integrate it into their platform. Another thing that is really important to us is the laying behavior of a cow. The more a cow lays down, the more healthy they are, the more happy they are, the more milk they give off. So then, you know, how does, if they they lay down more on clean bedding, so how can we do something to help that to increase production? And then, but through a simple manure management platform, really.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's super interesting. I've talked to some platforms. I think I've interviewed a few people on the podcast in the past where you know, trying to add that insights layer has become super important, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like a given farmer, and, and uh, I've mentioned before on the podcast, like I grew up on a farm in Ireland, um, very small scale, four, four, 48 acres. But, you know, so like the decision-making was pretty simple. Like my father would, you know, the inputs were what he could see with his eyes and i and with his nose. And then the outputs were, you know, what he could do with his hands and, you know, and sending me and my brother off doing, you know, the hard work or whatever it is. <laughs> (laughs) Um, But now it's like the insights, to your point, it's like, you know, you want to, like a farmer wants a very, very clear set of decisions. They may still say, oh, look, you know, the data is wrong, right? You know, the data saying that uh, I should move the herd in this particular direction. But, you know, I can tell with my eyes, that's not the best decision. But at least, especially at scale, they're being given those recommendations, and they can make those decisions in, in more of a binary way rather than just looking at a thousand data points.
1: Yeah, and really, you know we when we when we started looking at manure, we were saying, okay, there's there is data existing around weather and and crops and even production on of a dairy, let's say, or feeding behavior. But there was no uh, platform for manure that laid into that and and showed, you know, if you're supplementing on the feed, How much of that supplement is coming out in the manure and are you losing um, feed conversion because the manure is, you know, when you study the manure, we see that so much of that supplementation or feed is coming out in the manure. And so it's wasted money. I, I mean, that's an insight that needed to be provided. And so, I mean, I guess it just needed someone interested in manure to to get into it. But I mean, and then like you say, you look at other other platforms as well, even irrigation, uh, where the water needs to go based on the soil. Does the water need to go twice a year in these massive dumps or should it be precision applied through drip irrigation, which is a, a wonderful thing that we're trying to create alliances with as well? But it can't, you can't drip, irrigate straight manure. You have to clean it first and then drip, irrigate that nice clean water. So to access that platform and that, that data around irrigation, you need to have clean water. So all of these things came up when we started actually treating the water and got on farms and got involved. We're in t- 11 states now. And so once Amazing. we've gotten, you know, a bigger geography that we're we're touching, a, a larger hoof print, we say, then we, we can understand how we play into all these other other factors.
0: It's also really interesting, the, you know, the nature of agriculture in North America is very driven by very large monopolies, often mm-hmm. large chemical companies of various types. And I suppose f- You know, at first blush, it would seem to me that you know there's kind of a competitive nature here, right? Like if I was a large, you know, chemical company who is you know built a large business on chemical fertilizers of various types, you know, I would look at what you guys are doing as potentially a bit of a threat. Like, how do you think about you know how those companies are are going to react or are reacting to bringing to bear uh, something that's more circular, like what your system does?
1: Uh, We've actually seen fantastic embrace from a corporation like Nutrien or, you know, other other large groups have really been looking for a way to diversify their product offering and, and really offer a natural fertilizer. And. Um, you know, enter this part of the market. I, I haven't really seen any problem or any, you know, we're not seeing, we're not being blocked by anybody. When I originally started my pitch to Nutrien, we went to a, a competition and we won the competition with them because they looked, they looked were looking for someone with this bold type of vision that they could, you know, pilot with and work with because it's, it's in their trajectory. So uh, yeah, we've seen just a wonderful exploration. I said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm competitive. I'm just a small business. And, and right. but, you know, this is the way the market is going. This is what the consumer wants. And they know that, you know, they're wise to that.
0: I also think it's hard as outsiders looking into a large company, you know, those arguments are often happening internally and we're just not getting exposed to them. And, you know, I've had insights in, in other industries, like in finance and so on. And from the outside, like, oh, this company's making big company, they're making a big pivot, to putting all this investment into this area, whereas inside, you know, the people who had previously had all the investments are getting very upset. People <laughs> are shouting, people are leaving, all this kind of thing. But, but from the you know from an external point of view it looks all very you know clean and like a very you know smooth strategic shift so i wouldn't be shocked if some of that's happening in some of these companies
1: as well <laughs> behind the scenes yeah you know we're really trying to do something here i mean you know maybe i've got rose colored glasses like i often do but we're trying to do something that is economically beneficial and so you know you can't argue with economics if it's making money for the supply chain overall and it produces something better for the consumer there's no discussion around you know should we go this way or not we just should when we we, you know when you start to argue environmental aspects and there's different baselines and there's different measurement tools then we can you know we get into this nitty-gritty discussion but if you say you're producing as good or a better quality product for the consumer at a better or more optimum price there's no discussion needed
0: absolutely and i just kind of you know you, you've been have been exposed to like all these different parts of the food system you know if you're thinking about like where are the big areas of innovation that you see as kind of coming up next what are areas that you think are quite exciting over let's say the next kind of 5 to 10 year time horizon
1: yeah we're really seeing this massive expansion in renewable natural gas and and what's happening in the biogas market Uh, Of course, we want to balance that with getting the appropriate amount of organics back into the soil so that we've got a real healthy soil. I'm seeing both sides of the equation happen where people are focused on healthy soils and people are focusing on renewable natural gas in the same conversation. So uh, I really see that being in the food system what we're talking about. Um, We're really talking about Greenhouse gas emissions, but you can't talk about that without talking about clean water, and so I really see that that's the progress that the trajectory that we're on is really getting into the carbon markets and the renewable natural gas and how that plays energy and water together.
0: And that renewable natural gas, you know, what are the specific or typical use cases for that as a you know as a, as a fuel source?
1: yeah so we're seeing that grow right now with all of the the big companies you know all the big um energy companies are focused on putting you know a certain percentage maybe of that through the pipeline or selling a certain percentage of that at gas pumps uh, California' is really forward in um in moving that to market, so they're driving the the push here in you know, regulatory, but also in moving that to market and finding the consumer to buy that uh, regenerable natural gas. Um, so I think that's you know what we're what we're seeing, the biggest growth is is state by state, they're building that out around consumer pull, consumer demand, and then what they can access into that. So the use case would really look like a farm. Uh, Any type of large farm would sell their manure to a biogas producer. How we work in that is we move the manure from the farm to the biogas uh, producing company. Uh, That company produces biogas, cleans it and puts it into the pipeline and then sends it to where there's going to be consumer use. And I mean, right now we're seeing that in California, but it's moving everywhere across uh, the U.S. as we speak. There's, there's a real driver for that, for, for fueling homes and heating homes, and then for, of course, transportation.
0: Fascinating. And, you know, you, you mentioned you're kind of in 11 states now. You know, where are you in terms of, let's say, team size and what are the kind of plans of the next like one to two years? What are those kind of goals you're going after?
1: <laughs> well, we're a very lean small team right now. We're we're hiring, though. No? We're hiring, so contact us. <laughs> we are definitely expanding our team in multiple different ways, as far as just in engineering, in data, data science, and computer programming. And then uh, we're building on our sales team in a very targeted way. We are uh, partnering with dealers and distributors throughout throughout every geography on the globe right now. So uh, we're really most active in the U.S. and then in Europe. Um, But we're building our team, you know, sort of carefully yet boldly going forward.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that distribution is like is usually powerful with an ag in particular. You know, you already have a lot of these existing distribution channels, and I think it's always a lot easier to try to, you know, get in on those rather than try to build a team that's going out directly to every individual farmer.
1: Definitely, and I think farms already know who they're dealing with, who they like to deal with locally, and they've got, you know, local dealers for other types of ag equipment that they are, you know, good friends with and that they trust. And so working with those equipment dealerships is our best path to market, and uh, they know the clients really well. They know the needs. They know the, how we can place this system with good value for the farms, and make sure that it's happening in the best possible way, and has good support, technical support, and good service support. So that's our that's our path to growth going forward.
0: And you mentioned you know you're based up in Calgary in in Canada. Um, you know what are the uh, I suppose you know the pros and cons of building a company in Calgary.
1: Calgary is fantastic as far as manufacturing resource. We have been... Uh, world, world renowned on the oil and gas um, markets. So, we've built a lot of equipment in this city, and we have a lot of uh, space right now for manufacturing capacity. So, we can build really excellent quality equipment in this city. Um, that's our biggest benefit is that we can build really well and we can QC the product while it's here. And then there's excellent access to the markets. Um, we can, you know, ship really easily from here. We have Trade agreements with, uh, we have CETA is a trade agreement we have with, um, Europe. That's a fantastic, um, uh, partnership. And then we're such great partners with the U.S. um, that, you know, it works really well to, it's almost borderless when we ship uh, environmental equipment across to any of our partners in the U.S. We normally, when there's not a pandemic can travel really easily to see all of our farms. Um, We can just drive across to see anyone. So good access overall. Um, The cons are only in times like this where we've got, you know, we have to be at a farm quickly and uh, we're not, you know, the border's not open or, you know, we want to be there to support them on an installation in Europe and we're, we're stuck here. So that's, again, why we're just partnering with those local dealers so that if we can't be there in person, we've got our hands on the ground that can help us. We have also started implementing, you know, a VR tool so that we can work with our farms uh, more intimately, but virtually.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that. So how does that work?
1: So far, we have uh, started working in beta with um, just running tours of our farms to say, you know, here's what it looks like if you were here. Um, As Mm. we move that forward, we're looking at what other manufacturing companies have done around training staff um, so that they can be watching uh, with, you know, in their, in their virtual reality about, um, you know, watching us do something while they're doing it on site, watching us, you know, look at open up pumps and see what we're doing or AR and, and having advanced manuals or having videos of, of the equipment uh, being installed elsewhere so that they can follow along as they go rather than us trying to do it on, you know um a video call or on the phone they can have access to more advanced t- uh, training tools
0: love it yeah that's that's the first i've heard in, in the sector having those kind of th- tools so yeah i think i think that's absolutely fantastic here um you know this was just before we kind of finish up here you know is there something is there anything i should have asked you about but did not
1: oh i don't know we've dug into so much here right. um i think that uh it's I mean, it's a really exciting market. There's no better time than now, I think, to be in this market when we see things happening with, you know, investment in the market, like we've seen with BlackRock and President Biden and investment that's coming into this space. Ag tech is the big, is the big growing space. I want to encourage everyone to get into this market. It is uh, bold and it's really growing.
0: Yeah, and I just, you know, one thing I'll add on to that like you don't need to know much about like the space um, as long as you go in with like high level of curiosity uh, and, and so on, you know, as, as you mentioned, it took a while to like transfer from this oil and gas approach yeah. to like learning about agriculture. You know, I haven't been in ag for 15 years and like, you know, less than a year into getting back into it. Now I'm, you know, being asked to like speak of things and it's just because like being open and be, accepting that you don't know anything and that often, especially when you talk to like a farmer or somebody who's been yeah. in the industry their entire life, they're just always going to know more than you and other th- Like about the the domain, about farming, about agriculture, but you're bringing something else to it. So you're bringing a software skill set or a marketing skill set or a legal skill set, like all those skill sets are needed, you know, as we kind of convert this economy to something a bit more sustainable.
1: Definitely. I mean, I always say our customers have taught us everything about our product. (laughs) Uh, We brought in a water treatment package based on water treatment experience, and we looked at it a different way because we came from a different market, which is probably why we were successful in treating it, because we weren't trying to do it the same old way that it was being done. So, you know, bringing a novel approach and then really listening to our clients. We meet with them and we have roundtables with them to really discuss what can we be doing better for you? What You know, what is adding value? here that we didn't know about and they've taught us all of the value proposition really just from our you know original early adopters around they're fantastic business people i mean farmers are wonderful entrepreneurs they know how to squeeze a dime out of, <laughs> out of something yeah. and so uh you know they've taught us all about that
0: karen this would be great i absolutely echo everything you just said there thanks very much and we'll add you know all the links in the show notes to what you guys are working on
1: Perfect, thanks so much. This was so enjoyable.